No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome back to Simply the Bible, the through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Some people think that the God of the Old Testament is somehow different from the God of the New Testament, but today we'll see that God's character is unchanging. It is the way He demonstrates His glory. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Exodus chapter 34 on Simply the Bible. As Moses met with the Lord in the tent of meeting, he prayed the most amazing prayer. Show me your glory. The Lord said he would let his goodness pass before him and proclaim his name. We pick it up in Exodus chapter 34. Then the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone, like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me, there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and no man shall be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai after being with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights, he saw the golden calf that the people had made and threw down the two stone tablets and broke them. God had provided those tablets himself. But now Moses would have to cut the second batch himself. But God would write on these as he had done the first time. When Moses had gone up before, Joshua had gone up with him most of the way, But this time, nobody would be allowed on the mountain except for Moses, neither man nor beast. Perhaps it was because God was about to reveal to Moses his glory as Moses had requested. So Moses cut the two stone tablets and rose early in the morning to meet with God. Personally, I have found that this is the best time for me to meet with God. For one, I'm usually at my best first thing in the morning, That is, after I have my first cup of coffee. Second, if I don't make time to spend with God early in the morning, then chances are I won't find the time later in the day. Verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The Lord descended in the cloud. How often does the Lord descend in a cloud unseen to stand with us? We received the phone call that our loved one has been in an accident and is now in ER. Time stops. Suddenly, nothing else seems important. We would panic were it not for the fact that the Lord stands with us in a cloud unseen. Now, the previous day, Moses had asked the Lord to show him his glory. 
God told him that no one could see his face and live. Therefore, he would hide Moses in the cleft of the rock and gently cover him with his hand. Then he would make all his goodness pass before him and proclaim the name of the Lord. After God passed by, he would remove his hand so Moses could see his backside, really the afterglow of his presence. The Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. That is the Hebrew word Y-H-W-H. Since it has no vowels, no one really knows exactly how to pronounce it. Some say Jehovah, some say Yahweh or Yahweh. Rabbis do not pronounce it, but simply say the name. But the name of the Lord is related to the verb to be. That is why when God called Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt, and Moses said, Whom shall I say sent me? The Lord replied, Tell them I am sent you. For this reason, we can think of his name as meaning the becoming one. That is, whatever it is that you need, that is who the Lord is to you. And he is that for all eternity, for he is the eternal one. Moses asked to see his glory, so the Lord proclaimed his name. But the Lord also made his goodness pass before Moses. Jesus said that there is no one who is good except God alone. Therefore, God's glory is revealed in his goodness. They are one and the same. And God's goodness is revealed through his attributes. He names seven even as he passes over Moses. First, God is merciful. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. The just penalty for sin is death. So when we sin but don't die, it is because of God's mercy. Mercy can also be described as getting inside someone else's skin. We see what they see. We hear what they hear. We feel what they feel. This is what Jesus did. He got inside our skin. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in so doing, he expressed God's mercy in a flesh and blood way. Second, God is gracious. If mercy is not getting what we deserve, then grace is getting the good we don't deserve. I think this is my favorite attribute of God, probably because I need so much of it. Grace is God's new covenant cure to the law and our propensity to break it. The Apostle John tells us that the law came with Moses, but grace and truth came with Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed the grace of God in tangible ways by healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, and feeding the hungry. Jesus said that these were the works of his Father. Now, please allow me to digress for a moment. Many people have the misconception that the God of the Old Testament was different somehow from the God of the New Testament. This proclamation by God of his goodness under the Old Covenant ought to settle the matter once and for all. His character is immutable. That means that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The difference between the revelation of God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. Under the New Covenant, Jesus is our mediator. He turned away the wrath of God against sin when he died on the cross. In the future, according to the book of Revelation, God will pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. So don't think that God has changed. 
But in this age of grace, we who have trusted in Christ are the recipients of God's mercy, grace, and love, all because of what Jesus did for us. The third attribute that God mentions is that he is long-suffering. <laughs> that is not a word we use much. We could say also that he is patient and slow to anger. The idea is that he puts up with people a long time without judging, punishing, or condemning them. Sometimes we wonder why God allows such heinous crimes as massive shootings, suicide bombers, or other acts of terror. The scripture says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they should turn and live. It also says that he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But when he sees the pain that people cause to other people because of sin, it grieves the Lord and causes him to suffer, and he suffers long. Fourth, God is abounding in goodness and truth. It would be enough for him to simply be good and true. But the Lord says, I am abounding in goodness and truth. If you could fill up a cup with goodness and truth, then imagine the cup overflowing. That's the way it is. God's goodness and truth cannot be contained, but are literally spilling out everywhere. God delights in letting his goodness and truth spill out on whoever needs it. Fifth, he is keeping mercy for thousands. Now, if we compare this with Deuteronomy 7-9, then we see that the thousands is thousands of generations. He keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. So if you love the Lord and keep his commandments, then you are literally storing up a reservoir of mercy for your future generations. I believe I am the recipient of the mercy stored up by my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents who love the Lord and passed on to me a heritage of mercy that God has kept as a faithful asset manager. Sixth, God forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Sin is missing the mark and is often unintentional. Transgression is knowing something is wrong and doing it anyway. In other words, willful sin. Iniquity is wickedness or the character of someone who is a willful and habitual sinner, for example, a criminal. God forgives all three. Forgiving describes who God is. And the seventh and last attribute has caused people the most confusion, especially in the explanation that the Lord gives. He said, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. From this explanation, some have concluded that God punishes the children for the sins of their parents. But is that what God is saying? When we are uncertain of an interpretation, then we must compare Scripture with Scripture. Later, the Lord spoke to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 18 and said, What do you mean when you use the proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. The Lord spends the rest of Ezekiel 18 explaining that the son isn't punished for the father's sins and the father isn't punished for the son's sins, but the soul who sins shall die. 
children and grandchildren are not condemned for the sins of their ancestors, but they may suffer because of those sins. All we have to do is look at the children of alcoholics or drug addicts to see how this is true. Often those who grow up in such homes repeat the same sins. But the fact remains that God does not clear the guilty. In other words, he doesn't let the wicked go unpunished. He will bring judgment to the soul who does not repent. But what kind of a weak God would he be if he didn't do that? By proclaiming these seven attributes, the Lord let his goodness pass before Moses. It was the way he revealed his glory, and it is still the way he reveals his glory to us. We see these same attributes in Jesus Christ, so that if we have seen him, we have seen the Father. Verse 8, So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. What else could Moses do in the face of such glory? He quickly bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. Then he interceded for Israel once more, in essence saying, Since you are a God who forgives sin and iniquity, keeping mercy for thousands, who is gracious and abounding in goodness, then go with us, even though we are stiff-necked, and take us as your inheritance. It's like Moses was saying, because we are stiff-necked, you are just the God we need. So take us, Lord. And if you are a great sinner, then you are just the sort of person the Savior is looking for. Will you receive him? You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. They meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at Pepperidge Elementary School in Boise. Also, to listen to any of Pastor Daryl's teachings or to find out more about the church, go to their website at calvarytv.org. We'd really love to hear from you. You can also text WELCOME to 208-314-3377. That's 208-314-3377. Tomorrow we'll see that after forgiving his people, the Lord renews his covenant with them. He also writes a second edition of the Ten Commandments. We hope you'll join us as we continue our study of Exodus on Simply the Bible. 